Hey, we're going to continue our simple series today, and I get to talk about that topic that everybody loves when we talk about in church. I'm going to talk today about money, and I can hear you all get excited, and I can hear the the cheer. You're just holding back the cheer right now. Already, some of you are, are regretting the fact that you brought a friend to church today. Like you see, people say to me, of all the weeks I don't want to bring a friend, it's when we talk on money. And, and I wonder why we have that reaction. I'm going to save you an awkward conversation on the way to the car right now. So friend that is here checking out Gateway Ormo today, or you've been here once or twice, your friend right now that bought you is feeling really awkward, and they were wishing that they bought you on any other day, and they're thinking, we don't talk about this hardly ever, and we don't. But we have this interesting reaction when we talk about money, and the reason we have the reaction is this. We don't like others talking to us about what has become a very personal and protected part of our lives. More than that, we feel like when people talk to us about money, there's always an agenda that it's leading to. So let me put you at ease today. There is something I'm going to talk to the church about at the end around our family budget, around our giving here. But that's not the crux of my message. And so I very intentionally want to separate those two things out for you today. I want to preach a message on money. And within the context of this simple series, if there's one thing in our life that we have that adds complication or that we use to create complexity in our life, it's this whole idea of money. Jesus talks about money almost as much as any other practical life topic that he talks about in his teaching in the Gospels. Jesus talks about it proportionately a whole lot more than I ever will in this church. That's just a reality. And he does it because he recognises that of all the things in life that we take and add complexity to or threaten to take our attention, our focus and our devotion away from the things that matter, it's this topic of money. And so it's a really important thing for us to talk about and that is the heart of my sermon today. I want to talk about that and challenge us and encourage us about the place that it has in our lives. At the end of that, I'm going to finish my message and I'm going to talk to us practically about the church budget. But if you are a visitor here or you're still working out if this is the church that you're meant to be part of, I give you absolute permission at that point to check out, to tune out, to maybe, you know, put something on faith, whatever you want to do at that moment, because it's not, this talk is not directed at that moment for you. Please, let's just get that out right now, because I don't want you to lose the heart of what God might want to say to you in the rest of what I want to speak on this morning. So let's go to the Word. If you've got your Bible with you today, I'm going to invite you to open up to 1 Timothy. It's the first letter that the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy. In our Bibles, it's noted as 1 Timothy, but it was just the, sec- well, the first letter that he wrote to a young mentoree of his by the name of Timothy. If you don't have a Bible, you can watch on the screen. We're going to bring up the verses there. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, we as a church would love to give you one so that you have one uh, that you can take and keep with you. But 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says this to Timothy. He says that, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command those who are rich in this present world. Now, I want to talk to this, this morning to those who are rich in this present world. 
whole bunch of you have just taken a sigh of relief because you're like, I can check out at this moment. But before you do, stick with me for five minutes. And I'm going to apologize now that I'm going to pull up something that I've already spoken on or an illustration I've given previously. But I want to ask you the question of what is rich? Before you switch off to Paul's teaching to Timothy, when he says, command those who are rich in this present world, we have to ask the question of what is rich? Because my hunch, and I know from the way I've answered this question a lot myself over the years, is the majority of us here this morning would answer the question of, am I rich with no, I'm not, but I can point to someone who is. So before we tune out, we need to ask the question of what is rich? 2011, the Gallup organization did a really interesting survey in North America that asked that question of people, what is rich? And they came back with a number. And the number was around about $150,000 a year. Annual income was the answer that people gave on average to what is rich. Now, right now, some of you are thinking, yeah, man, $150,000 a year. If I had that, I would feel rich. Some of you are thinking, man, $150,000 is nowhere near the mark because that's around about my income and it is not rich by any stretch of the imagination. And here's the thing, the number itself doesn't tell us anything because it's just the average. People right across that spectrum gave different answers. And here's, here's where we get the most out of that study. When you dig in behind that number and you see the attitude of people that answered that question, what is rich? And here's what they found. People that earned less than $50,000 a year. So you had an annual income of 20, 30, $40,000 a year. When asked the question of what is rich, said this, $100,000 a year is rich. I mean, if we had $100,000 we would be incredibly rich. So then they moved to the next group, those that were earning the fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a year and said, okay, what do you think rich is? They're like, well, it's not $100,000. It's $150,000. So then they moved up the scale again. Those that were earning seventy dollars to $80,000 a year, what do you think rich is? Well, it's not $100,000 because we're nearing that mark and we feel nowhere near the mark of rich. It's not $150,000. It's actually more like a quarter of a million dollars. If you had a quarter of a million dollars annual income, then we would start to feel rich. What, what, what did the survey teach us? It taught us this, that every single group of people answered the question of what is rich by saying someone up there. Not here, someone up there. And then the people up there that those people were looking at said, well, this is not rich. If you think this is rich, let me tell you, rich is somewhere up there. And then those people said, well, rich is not, rich is somewhere. You see, everyone spent their whole life answering the question very, very simply. Rich is more. Rich is more. And if I asked a whole bunch of you this morning to be very honest about the answer to that question, I reckon you would say the same thing. Rich is more. Rich is more. And so we spend our whole life looking at those in a different stage of life or a different financial spectrum to us and say, if I could just achieve what they've achieved, then when I was asked the question of what is rich, I could say, well, I've arrived. But not too many people ever say that they've arrived. And here's the great challenge for us. And this is actually a discipleship challenge. This is a, a challenge for those of us that are serious about following Jesus. If we spend our whole life saying rich is more, the thing I think Jesus would want to say to us is it's time to turn around. 
Because there's someone that you're looking at and saying they're rich, but there's someone that's looking at you and saying you're rich. But you never feel rich because you always think the rich is somewhere down there. Maybe you need to start turning around and focusing your attention on those right now that are looking at you and answering the very question that you're answering by saying, if it was just like them, I would be rich. Now, some of you are already offended by what I've had to say because you just do not feel rich. And you're like, well, if he knew my personal circumstances, now financial, you know what? I, I want to acknowledge in this space today, there might be some people here that are doing life incredibly, incredibly tough. And for whatever reason, your finances are a mess and you are right on the edge or you've maybe crossed the edge. And if that's the case, I'm not here to uh, make you feel awkward or pass any judgment on that. We as a church actually want to help you. If that's where you're at, we want to do anything in our power to help you come out of that place of poverty, whatever it looks like in your world, and actually help you move to a place of you know, healthier finance in your life. And so we don't ever want to isolate or ostracize anyone. I'm not trying to just paint a brushstroke and say everybody is in this. But I do know one thing. The majority of us are. The majority of us are living lives that say rich is there. We need to turn around and look that way and ask who's looking at me and asking the question of am I rich? If you were here when we did our Gateway Beyond Giving Sunday, you would remember I had a toilet on the stage and a kitchen bench and... You know, those stats, we can throw figures out, can't we? Throw figures out about the world that we live in. But let me return to some of those figures because I don't want you to miss the, the reality of what they were. The point I made that day was we get up and take for granted going to the bathroom and flushing our toilet, mostly with the same water that comes out of the tap in our sinks that we drink from. We flush away our human waste with water that's drinkable and safe and healthy. And it's disgusting to think about that, isn't it? But you know what? There's 760 or 790, 760,000 children under five every year that die because of diarrhea that comes from poor water and sanitation. 760,000 kids will die in the next year because they con contract diarrhea that comes from poor water and sanitation. Now, if you're one of their kids, what's your answer to what is rich? They're probably standing here looking at a whole bunch of you and saying, there's the answer. There's 795 million people in our world that are undernourished. That's one in nine. And that's despite the fact that we live in a world where there is enough food for everybody. This is not a lack of food resource. This is a lack of food distribution. And you know it because if you're anything like me, you get to the end of the week and I'll own this, but we pull the crisper out the bottom of our fridge and go, that great diet I was going to start this week that involved zucchini, squash, tomatoes and lettuce leaves didn't eventuate because it was too busy and we just got takeout instead. So we're going to take all this fresh fruit and vegetable that's now turned to slush, throw it in the bin. And there's people that see us do that and when they ask the question of what is rich, they look at you and me. 500,000 kids every year go blind due to vitamin A deficiency. I don't even know what that is. But all I know is I'm not vitamin A deficient. Actually, there's not a lot in the 
world of vitamins and nutrients that I am deficient in. But there's just a reality that those people look at you and I and we're the answer to their question of what is rich. Now, some of you are really upset at me at the moment and I apologize for that and you're arguing with me in your mind while you sip on the $5 coffee that you bought on the way to church this morning because you could afford to do that. But just take a moment and just take the offense of that out of it for a minute and just ask the question of what is rich? Because maybe the answer is, I am. I am. And so if that's the case, when Paul says to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world, there's a whole bunch of us that need to hear this message. Command those who are rich in this present world, Paul says to Timothy, do not put your hope in wealth, but put your hope in God. Here's some sobering questions to ask yourselves. Is your contentment linked to material things? Or another way of asking this question is, is the answer to all your problems more money. When you close your eyes at night and you lie down and you think about all the things that are happening in your life and all the things that aren't right and all the things that you change and all the things that would make you happy is the answer stuff and money. It's a big question to ask ourselves. Second question, is your future guided by a financial plan or by a faith walk? You know, some of us carry such anxiety over wealth and wealth creation and retirement planning. Now, please today do not hear me say anything that advocates poor stewardship or bad stewardship. But for some of us, that is the complete focus of our lives. That is the filter through which we put every decision. That is the filter that changes the way we live life, the way we do family, the way we spend money, the way we loan money, the way we work, where we work. All of that is through the filter of a financial plan plan for our future, not a faith plan. Jesus makes it very, very clear in his teaching that the greatest goals in our life are not financial goals. He says this, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus says that when two guys come to him and one says, tell my brother to cut me into the inheritance that he's got me. It's in Luke chapter 12. They come to Jesus to arbitrate against a family, personal, financial matter. They see Jesus as someone that's wise and knowing. And so they come to him and Jesus doesn't want to enter the family thing. He just ignores it. But he answers by saying, watch out for all kinds of greed. For life does not consist in things. Jesus recognizes the danger of our heart being captured by another object of worship. And you know why Jesus talks about money probably more than anything else practically? Is because he recognizes for lots and lots of people that money, wealth, possessions and stuff can be the goal of our lives. Therefore, the object of our worship. And if you want to know what worship is, it's the thing that you give greatest devotion to in life. It's not the four songs that you sing on a Sunday morning. It's the thing that your heart gives greatest devotion to. Singing songs is important because it's a reset moment. It's a moment of realignment and refocus. And that's why we do it. 
It's not just because it's the thing that you have to do in church. It's actually a moment in time we say it's good to come together every week and for a moment turn our eyes and our heart off ourself and our needs and our wants and our problems and turn them back to Jesus. There's a reset moment that comes when we gather in worship. But worship and the things that we worship are the things that we give greatest devotion to. If you want to know what you give greatest devotion to, what are the things that keep you awake most at night? What are the things that you wake up and you lie dreaming about? What are the things that you give most of your time to? The thing that you give most of your thought life to? The things that you give most of your energy to? Tim Keller, many of you know Tim Keller, pastor from New York City, says this. If we look to some created thing to give us meaning, hope and happiness that only God himself can give, it will eventually fail to deliver and break our hearts. And you know what, when it comes to wealth, those that said rich was somewhere there, got there and then realized it failed to deliver. And they said, well, it must be somewhere up there. And then they got there and it failed to deliver because once your heart is set on something that doesn't and never can bring contentment and happiness into your life, you'll always be chasing after it because it will never bring fulfillment to you. You will never stop chasing because it was never designed to bring fulfillment to your life. So Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world not to put your hope in wealth. Second thing he says is command those who are rich in this present world to do good and be rich in good deeds. Here's a really simple biblical principle, but wealth in the kingdom of God is not measured economically. God's not going to line us all up on the day of judgment and say, okay, let's work out where you're at. Let's work out how much your annual income is, how many assets you've got. Get in a line and we're going to draw a line somewhere in that. No, no, no. Wealth is not measured economically. So what should we do with anything that we've got? Whether it be material wealth or, or wealth that comes from what we can give physically and personally. Well, the Bible teaches that we should use what we have for the benefit of others. Jesus goes on in that story that he tells in Luke chapter 12 that starts from the question of these two brothers fighting over inheritance and he pulls his disciples together and he says this to them. He says, sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. See, some of us live a lie and I know it because I've lived it myself at times and it says this, when I just get a little bit more, then I'll have something to give. There's this principle in life. It's like an elastic band, isn't it, when it comes to things? Some of us right now feel like the elastic band is really stretched. Feels like financially and the things that we've got, we're stretched to the absolute limit. And we just say to ourselves, we sit down at night, we sit down with, you know, whoever, if we share life with someone, if we're married, we might sit down with our spouse and we go, if we could just get a little bit of relief, if we could just get a little bit more, then life would be so much easier. And at some point, the little bit more comes. It's like you get a, a wage increase or you pick up some more hours at work or, or something changes in your financial landscape that just stretches the rubber band. And you feel the, just the weight come off for a moment when the email comes through saying, you know, you've got a CPI increase on your wage. There's going to be an extra $80 in your pay packet next week. And you think... Oh, fantastic. You go home and it, you just feel this weight off your shoulders. And so you announce to your family, I've got a pay rise today. Let's go and celebrate. 
We're going for all-you-can-eat pizza. And so you go and have all-you-can-eat pizza and you spend the next six weeks of wage increase at the restaurant. And then you say, oh, man, we've been waiting for this moment. My iPhone 5S is so like three years ago. It's time to upgrade. So we've got a little bit more in the budget now. Let's go get the new iPhone. Let's also upgrade the family Netflix package because guess what? I am so sick of my kids being online watching TV when I want to watch it. We need to get more user accounts on Netflix. And so you spend the money on the Netflix and then you decide that you're going to start getting coffee on the way. To, and before you know it, two weeks later, you're sitting down at the table going, if only we could just get a little bit more. And it'd take the pressure off. And it'd just release the pressure. And then a little bit more comes. And the car needs upgrading because the car that you're driving is just like, it's just old. And like, it doesn't have Bluetooth. It's got like a CD player. And the kitchen that you put in four years ago, the cream doors and the apricot bench top is just so dated. So we're going to take out some money to fix the kitchen and buy the new car and the rubber bands at its excess again, isn't it? Anyone else do this or am I just telling my own story? Paul says, do good and be rich in good deeds. Whilst not in the kingdom is not measured economically. You don't have to wait till you arrive somewhere to start being people that do good and being rich in good deeds. You might be somebody whose life is never marked by economic or financial just blessing, if you want to put it that way. But you might be one of the richest people in the kingdom of heaven because you poured your life and your skills and your talents and your time into others. Because Jesus does not care one scrap what the balance of your bank account is when it comes to success in life. Command those who are rich in this present world to not put your hope in wealth, to do good and be rich in good deeds. Three, and to be generous and willing to share. Let me say this, generosity in the kingdom is not measured economically. We've got to be really careful because a human view on generosity is very different to a godly view on generosity. I keep coming back to this story when I think about this point of the widow that came and put her money in the treasury at church. Jesus was observing and a poor widow came and dropped two copper coins in the buckets at church. It's like, you know, when you hear the clink of 10 cent pieces that the kids throw in. Nobody else noticed her that day. And you know why nobody else noticed her? Because in human reckoning, what she did wasn't that generous. In, in a sense that her two little copper coins weren't going to pay for the rent of the facility or weren't going to make much of a dent in the electricity bill, weren't going to help with the, you know, the food pantry program, weren't going to help that person get to the mission field, wasn't going to pay for the upgrade to the building. Nothing that she gave in those two copper coins was going to make much of a dent in the costs that were being incurred in the temple at the time. And so nobody noticed her. You see, what we see is people that give in a way that we go, wow, man, that's really going to help us move forward. That's really going to help us do life better. And so we praise generosity based on value. Jesus praises generosity based on proportion. He says she gave everything. 
And some of us get labelled as generous because people see what we do, but really deep down, we know we're rather stingy. And some of us will never get noticed for our generosity because what we give is not going to make much of a dent in many things. But one day standing before Jesus, he's going to praise you for your generosity. See, generosity is never measured economically. Here's another really sobering study and statistic that was done. It says this, often the more we have, the harder we find to give. Now, another study that was done in the US was around giving to the local church. So it was a very specific set of people that were surveyed in a very specific place of giving. And so they said to people, okay, we want to measure how much proportionately you give to the work of your local church where you're invested. And they found this. They found that poor people are more likely to tithe and give a higher percentage of their income than wealthy people. So in America, when they did this study, Americans who made $10,000 or less annual income were giving around 11.2% of their annual income. It's pretty generous. While Americans who made $150,000 in annual income were giving on average 2.7% proportionally of their income. Now, 2.7% of $150,000 is still a whole lot more than 11.2% of $10,000, or not that much more, to be honest. But it's still more, so on paper it looks better. But the reality is, the more people had, the less generous they became. Now, why is that? Because there's a tipping point, I reckon, where we start to feel like what we have is what we deserve. And there's a point where you're desperate, and you've got nothing, and you're dependent on God for all his goodnesses. And when you give a dollar out of 10, it doesn't feel like that much. Or when you give 10 out of 100, it's still going to hurt, but it doesn't feel like that much. But suddenly when you've got $100,000 to give, $10,000 feels like a lot of money. There's a car for your kid in there. There's some school fees in there. There's a lot of money. And when you get to $200,000, I mean, I don't know if I trust the people to be good stewards if I give more than a piddly amount. You see, there's something in life that makes it harder to give the more we have. The studies, the stats show us. Let me just make one point very, very clear this morning. Being rich, however you define it, is not wrong. The Bible never says that being rich or having wealth is wrong. It never teaches that, it never says that people that have means and have wealth are wrong or are evil. It never says that. Actually, if you do a, a study of some of the New Testament passages, there's a suggestion that some of the disciples that were good business guys and some of the people in the early church that had properties where they hosted the events of the early church were rather wealthy. Because if you owned property in Jesus' time, you were doing okay. And Jesus never boohoos that. Actually, it was critical in the life and the birth of the church that those people were generous with what they have. So the Bible never teaches that rich is wrong. What it teaches is that making richness or riches the ultimate thing in our life is where the danger lies. There's a very, very famous passage, and I'll read it in a moment, but where Jesus says this, the love of money is the cause of all kinds of evil. Doesn't say money is. It's the love. You see, it's the heart connection. It's the devotion. It's not the having. So being rich is not wrong. 
but making it the ultimate in our lives is where the danger lies. Timothy says, uh, Paul says to Timothy earlier in that passage one, Timothy 6, actually Paul's the one that says the quote that I just said, says this, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, Paul says, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to put their hope in wealth, to do good and be rich in good deeds, and finally, to be generous and to be willing to share. And you know why, Timothy? Because when they do all those things, they will take hold of the life that is truly life. 1 Timothy 6, 19. See, many of us here today carry great anxiety around our finances. But Jesus says this, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. There is a narrative in life that says this. And many, many people live this as their life story. Spend your whole life working really hard to build up enough money so that as you get old and have no capacity to enjoy it, you can live the last years of your life in relative comfort until you die. That is a goal for life, isn't it? That is a purpose to live for. To spend your whole life working to the point of being able to die in comfort. If that's the narrative that you are living your life by, God has got something so much bigger for you than that. Don't settle for such a narrow and a small story. The Bible makes it clear that the story you're living is an eternal story. And the things that you invest your life in and that you invest your things in right now are about building an eternal story. Or you're invited to be part of building an eternal story. The story that must moth and rust can't destroy. Jesus uses those words a lot, doesn't he? He says, build for yourself a treasure in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy because anything that you build for yourself on earth one day will crumble, the rust will get in, the moth will destroy, it will be no more. But you can use what you have to build an eternal story. You cannot take your wealth with you, but here and now you can use your wealth to build into things that can be taken with you. Let me say that again. You cannot take your wealth with you, but here and now you can use your wealth to build into things that can be taken with you. I want to encourage you, no matter where you're at, and if if you're not a person of faith or if you're searching out Jesus, there's still a question for you to ask in this. And the question is, how can I use what I have to be generous? And if for you that means giving to the Surf Lifesaving Association or if it means giving to, you know, a great medical research cause or if it means giving to kids at risk in our community or whatever it looks like, that's a great way to use the things that you have to invest in things that matter. I encourage you, this doesn't happen by default. This doesn't happen by you driving home in the car and saying, okay, we're going to change this. This actually happens by you sitting down, pulling out the budget looking at the finances and saying, okay, what are we going to give up for the sake of giving?
And there'll be a cost. Now, it'd be really popular for me to preach a message and you'll get this some places you go that says, man, God just wants to bless you. You give and you won't even notice it. No, no, you give, there's going to be a cost. It's a sacrifice. The Bible talks about sacrificial giving. It wouldn't be sacrificial if it didn't hurt a little bit. But in one sense, it's going to hurt, but in another sense, it's going to be great joy into your life as you see that what God's given you, you're using to bless the lives of others. Encourage all of us. Why don't we sit down with our budget this week, ask ourselves the honest question of, am I rich? And then say, what can I do to use what I have to pour into the life of somebody else? God, it's simple. It's simple. It's simple not to put our hope in wealth. What you can tell us is simple. Jesus, it's so complex and not easy to apply. And we make it so complex. But Father God, I want to pray that we would have our hearts filled with gratitude. Jesus, that we would see that what you've blessed us with, that we would even see the small things and become people of gratitude. Not people always yearning for something that we don't have, but people that stop long enough in the moment to be thankful for the things that we do have. God, build that in us. But Father, more than that, help us see the ways that we can use what it is that we do have to bless others. To help those kids that are undernourished. To put clean water and sanitation in those places and villages that don't have it. To stop kids going blind through vitamin A deficiency. God, they're all really good causes. And they're all ways that you can enable us to use what we have to bless the lives of others. God, may we not ever put our hope in wealth. May we learn to put our hope in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.